as I mentioned briefly earlier, we're starting a new series um, on two kings this morning. Um, but if you're like me, that probably comes at a slightly confusing part in the Bible where quite a lot's happened, um, quite a lot's gone wrong, quite a lot's gone right. Um, so before we dive into it, Dan's put together a short video just to tell us the story so far um, of where we, where we arrive um, when we get to two kings. So we're going to watch that video and then Philip and Marianne are going to come and read from the Bible for us today. Well, just before we have our reading of 2 Kings chapter 1, we might be thinking this morning, well, what happens in 1 Kings? It feels like we're jumping in the story halfway through, and we kind of are this morning as we start 2 Kings. So a bit of a recap for us to help us see what the story's been so far as we get to 2 Kings chapter 1. You see, God's people, the people of Israel, who are followed right the way through the Old Testament, well, they end up in God's promised land, a land that God wanted to give them, that had everything they needed and God wanted his people to be in his place under his rule and his word listening to him and worshipping him as their God and at that point when they come into the land the people of Israel exist as 12 tribes and it's actually under King David to cut a long story short that those 12 tribes are then unified into one kingdom and it's King David's son, Solomon, that actually starts the book of 1 Kings. And things look like they're going really well for the people of Israel under Solomon. But actually towards the end and after Solomon, that's when things begin to fall apart for the people of Israel. In 1 Kings we find that that kingdom that was once unified together is now divided. Ten tribes now go and form the northern kingdom called Israel. And two tribes go and form the southern kingdom Judah. And 1 Kings really follows the stories of how kings of both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, well, what their attitude was to God's word. Most of the time it looks like these kings reject God's word. And instead of worshipping God, actually instead they worship other gods instead. And so in 1 Kings, God sends his word, his prophet Elijah, one of the main characters, and God is gracious enough to speak his word to them and to warn his people about what they're doing. But in 1 Kings, we could almost say that it's summed up by maybe one of the main kings in the book. We are introduced to King Ahab in 1 Kings, who rules over the northern kingdom. And it says in chapter 16 of 1 Kings that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He rejects God's word. And in fact, right at the end of 1 Kings, just before we start 2 Kings, we're introduced to King Ahab's son, Ahaziah, and we see that he follows in the exact same pattern as his father. And so the question really is, as we move over now into two kings, is, well, are God's people ever going to listen to God's words? And if not, what is God going to do? So that's hopefully a helpful recap in where the story has been now at two kings. So please join us as we read from 2 Kings chapter 1. This is a passage which describes the Lord's judgment on Ahaziah. 2 Kings chapter 1. After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, 
Go and consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you're going off to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied. And he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending men to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, He was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt round his waist. The king said, That was Elijah the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, Come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says, come down at once. If I'm a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messages to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, You will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign and what he did, Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel?
pretty exciting stuff going on in Two Kings. Dan, why don't you come and join me and we'll pray for you before you unpack that passage for us. Father, I thank you for our brother Dan. I thank you um, for his commitment to your word. And I thank you for the understanding you have given him and the way that he unpacks these passages for us. I pray this morning that you would give him wisdom, that you would speak through him, and that you would give us ears to listen and hearts to take in and digest what you want to say to us this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pete. Morning, everyone. Morning, everyone watching on live stream too. Good. Really lovely to have you tuning in as well. Isn't it amazing to have singing this morning? Oh, I feel so good to have that back. Thanks so much to the, the band as well for, for doing that for us. Well, do keep that passage that we had read out to us. Thank you, Philip and Marin, for reading out to us. Uh, do keep that open up in front of you. Well, I want to take you back a couple of weeks ago to an event that we had as a small group where we decided to have the really lovely idea of of having a barbecue in the garden. We thought it would be a lovely opportunity to to have a bit of time together in the garden. We joined with another small group uh, in a a garden there. And, you know, it started off just so well. We were all meeting together and we had the barbecue. It was going, the the burgers were going, the sausages looked good. It It was a good barbecue starting off. But in true British style... The heavens started to open. I mean, it chucked it down. But I feel like an even truer British style, did that deter us? Not one bit. We organized a barbecue. We are having a barbecue. And so we kind of made this makeshift sort of tent that we could kind of go over and we had chairs sat around and we all sat around together in the pouring rain. The light was going, but we were having our barbecue. And it was a good time. It was. I'm, seeing no, I'm not seeing nods now. I thought I would see nods. Um, but as we were sat around, we decided to play a game. And the game was called Room 101. And now, it was a game that's based off the TV show, uh, which I think is based off a novel, 1984, George Orwell. But we were very much basing it on the, the game show on BBC. And if you're not familiar with the, the game... Uh, room 101. The, the idea, it's very simple, is that you, you basically go round and, and each person has to choose something that they would want to banish uh, in, a, in a vault somewhere. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's funny, you know, when we're playing it's funny, you know, it's not serious, not like your mother-in-law, you know, it's funny things that we're talking about. And, and as we're playing and everyone's going round and they're giving their reasons for why they would banish uh, some things. Well, we had some top contenders. We had uh, middle lane drivers on the motorway. Oh, you know, oh yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then we had, and then we had, oh, what was the other one? Oh, internet cookies. Internet cookies. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, every website you go in, you have to accept the cookies. I don't know what I'm accepting. Not actual cookies. Um, and then someone came up. I think this became the winner. The, the top contender was. Fun-sized chocolates. The idea being, why do you call something fun-sized only because it's smaller? You know, the small chocolates you get, and that just deserves being banished. You can't call something fun-sized as an excuse to make it smaller. And I think that might have the room. And it was all a bit of a laugh. And we had a lot of fun. And we maybe do really wish that we could get through lots of things. But it almost seems like, whilst that was a bit of a laugh, our culture 
actually takes that cancelling aspect, that banishing aspect, almost to new heights now. You might have heard of the term that's uh, come into sort of play now called cancel culture. That is, if, if someone says something that is deemed unacceptable, oh, that person is cancelled. That person is rejected. They are room 101, if you will. And I guess when you could say when it comes to the top of the, the cancelled list today, well, I guess you could expect to find God's word probably somewhere at the top. And yet this isn't just a, a present trend. Historically, this has always been the case with God's word. As we're going to see in 2 Kings this morning, God's word has always tried to be cancelled and silenced way before the term cancel culture ever appeared. And why? Why is that the case? Why cancel God's word? Well, do you know, there's a sense in which if we're all playing Room 101 seriously, we all look in our hearts, I know I do myself, there's a sense in which we'd all like to see God's word cancelled at some points. There's an inclination within all of our hearts that, that wants to fight against what God has to say. And there will be points in each of our lives, I know myself, where we're confronted by God's word and we don't like what it says. We don't want to hear it and we don't want to do it. And that makes this morning's passage in 2 Kings critical to our understanding. Because 2 Kings has a very clear message as it begins. A very clear message, as we'll see this morning, God's word cannot be cancelled. God's word cannot be cancelled. It might be the top of your Room 101 suggestion, but God's word is going nowhere. What God says, God will do. And I know I said to my small, I'm going to aim for one point this morning. That is the one point. God's word cannot be cancelled. But I'm going to use three points to, 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 to help inform that one big point this morning. And our first one, uh, as we look at our passage, is ignoring God's word. Let's, let's look at this passage that we've had read out to us. Now, ignoring God's word is our first point, verses 1 to 4. We've had a bit of context, haven't we, already? And hopefully in that video we found that just a bit of a help in understanding what the story is now when we come to two kings. And we've already seen a bit of who this Ahaziah character is. He's the king at the time. And we're introduced to him again in, in verse 2. And our passage really flows from well, what seems to be a massive breach of building regulations. Uh, verse 2, Ahaziah is he's walking on the, maybe the top of his roof. And he falls through the lattice of his upper room and he, and he seems to injure himself, as we see. And it, and it seems like this is a pretty serious injury. This isn't a kind of a bump on the arm and kind of walk it off. It, it's, it's not 111, it's, it's 999, if you want to put it that way. Because we see that Ahaziah, he, he then asks his messengers to travel 30 miles to a Philistine city called Ekron. And to consult the Philistine god, Baal, on to see whether or not he's going to recover from this injury. And so it seems like life and death are at stake for Ahaziah here. This is a pretty serious injury. And yet even though Ahaziah has no intention and doesn't want to hear the Lord's word, well, God speaks to him anyway. 
and confronts him through the, through the prophet Elijah. Look with me at verse 3. Elijah sends back this message from the Lord, which says in verse 3, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Why, Ahaziah, why do you need to travel abroad to find out something when you can know everything you would want to know from the Lord, the God of Israel? Why ignore God's word for Baal's word? That's really the question. Why is Ahaziah going after and chasing Baal's word and not seeking God's word? Well, the answer shouldn't come as any surprise to us. We know, if you have your Bibles open, from the last chapter, the very last chapter of 1 Kings, we know that Ahaziah is one who served and worshipped Baal. It says that in 1 Kings 22, verse 53. And so the reason that he doesn't consult God's word is because he doesn't worship the Lord. He worships Baal. And that highlights something so important for us this morning. That our word comes from what we worship. Our word comes from what we worship. That is, whatever we worship, that is, whatever I love most and I cherish most, and whatever I invest in most, that is what we worship. And and it can be absolutely anything this morning, but whatever we worship, that will be the thing that we look to save us. That will be the thing that we look to provide us with direction and with guidance. That will be the thing that will inform every single decision that we make. And we all worship something. No one worships nothing. We all worship something. And because Ahaziah worshipped Baal, that is where he looked for his help. That is where he looked for his clarity and direction. That is what he looked to inform his life. And this morning, do you know, if we're thinking about this, if we worship, maybe it's our career this morning. And we worship getting as far and making as much as we can. That is going to be the thing that will inform every decision that we make. It will be the root of it all. If we worship our intellect and how much we know, maybe our own resources, that is going to be the thing that we look to to save us, to deliver us from problems and and storms that we walk through. If we worship, maybe it is this morning, the, the opinion of maybe those around us, that is going to be the thing that informs every decision that we make, the opinion of others. What we worship becomes our word. And yet, do you know, the real tragedy of our passage this morning in 2 Kings is that Ahaziah didn't see who he was worshipping. The name in 2 Kings, it's recorded, it's, it's Baal-zebub. I know it sounds like a bit like a, a Disney villain, doesn't it? Baal-zebub. But that, mean, that name, it means Lord of the Flies. In other words, Lord of the Dung. It's a bit of a, a horrible name, a bit of a horrible image to describe. And it's a bit of a contrast. The name actually is Baal Zebul. It means Baal the Exalted, but they've almost changed that to highlight something, to highlight the hopelessness, the powerlessness, the uselessness of what Ahaziah was worshipping. 
And you know, as I was thinking about this, to, you know, this week, and I was thinking about what my heart so often runs to try and worship. Do you know, when I looked at it, I thought that's exactly the same, isn't it? So much of what we choose to put our confidence in this morning is just the same. It's, it's Baal-zebub, it's Lord of the Flies, it's, it's useless, it's powerless, it, it actually doesn't bring life, it brings death. Sooner or later. And you know, this is the exact reason, this running after and worshipping other gods, this is the exact reason why at the end of Two Kings, a bit of a spoiler alert, that this leads God to send his judgment on the people and they leave God's land and they're placed in exile. And I can imagine there would be people of Israel reading this account in 2 Kings in exile and they would be reminding themselves as they're reading this passage of the hopelessness of the things that they put their worship in, their hope in. They'd reminded themselves, yes, it was so useless. And now we're here in Babylon. We're exiled. We're away from home. What we worshipped brought us death. It was hopeless to save us. And I wonder this morning, I wonder if maybe we looked, where does our words come from? Where does our words come from? Where, Where is it that we would say this morning, we look to for help? Where, where does our direction come from? What, what informs? What is at the root of every decision that we make? And 2 Kings starts by saying, if that's not the Lord, it's not just hopeless, it's dangerous. And that brings us to the second point this morning, which is silencing God's word, verse 5 to 15. It's dangerous precisely because of what we see next. Because you might expect, having just heard from the Lord and this word that comes to Ahaziah, that actually recovery is not ahead, but death is ahead, you might have hoped that this would have stirred something in Ahaziah where he'd become a changed man. You would have thought, oh, this might be the point where Ahaziah starts to turn to the Lord to be a help. But actually we find instead it only hardens his heart against God's word. And after Ahaziah does a bit of detective work and he tries and figures out who sent this message back from the Lord and he finds out it's Elijah, well then he sends out one of his captains, one of his military men with 50 troops to go to Elijah. And it should be said at this point, you know, as we do that, you do not send a captain, a military captain with a small army to give an invitation for someone for a, to come round for dinner. This isn't so that Ahaziah can come and get Elijah and have a cute catch-up over coffee. It is pretty clear, isn't it, what Ahaziah is wanting to do. He wants to silence God's word for good. And he's sent in the military. He wants to cancel it. He hates what he's heard, and he wants to cancel it. And so in verse 9, we see that the, the military welcoming committee finally arrive, and they reach the hill where Elijah is at the top of it. And, and this military commander, he cries out to Elijah, and Elijah responds in verse 10, where Elijah says this, look with me, verse 10. If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. Fire from heaven. Now it seems very dramatic, doesn't it? But do you know, if we read through 1 Kings, we would have realized what this is pointing us back to. 
Because when we hear that fire from heaven, our minds are immediately taken back to a very famous event that happened only five chapters back in 1 Kings chapter 16, where Elijah, this prophet, he had a contest with 450 prophets of Baal the God that Ahaziah is worshipping. And they have this contest, contest, almost you could say it was a, as a barbecue competition. And Elijah and the prophets of Baal, they have this contest to see who the true God is. And they say the true God will answer by fire. And so the 450 prophets of Baal, they begin setting up their altar. And they set it up and they're all singing and they're dancing around and they're crying out to Baal to answer by fire And they're even harming themselves. It's a really graphic picture. And yet no answer comes. No answer comes. And then Elijah, he then goes and sets up his altar. And he he, he even makes it even more difficult for himself. And he orders for four large jars of water to to be filled and poured over the altar. And he orders that to be done three times over. The point, I'm going to make this as hard to catch on light as I can make it and Elijah he then cries out to the Lord and the Lord answers by fire and in fact in in 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 38 I read the exact account this is what happens it said then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice the wood the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench That is the story that our minds are taking back to. And do you know, Ahaziah would have definitely known this story. It was his father, Ahab, that was king at the time that was taking place. This was a a massive trending event. This would have been all over Twitter if they had it. No one could have not known that this happened. Ahaziah would have had this in his mind. And yet instead of learning from history... Ahaziah seems to become more determined to silence God's words. You know, I was thinking of the famous quote, uh, you know, where it says, those who don't learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And that is exactly what happens. Ahaziah sends another captain with another 50 soldiers and the exact same thing happens again. He's not seeing what this is pointing towards. He's not listening to God's word. He wants to silence it. And the same thing happens again. Now you can imagine when news gets back to the military HQ where Ahaziah is sending out his troops, you can imagine it probably wouldn't be your best day at work when you're brought into the office and you've been given the news that you've been promoted to captain uh, because Ahaziah then seems even more determined and he sends out another captain with another 50 troops to try and accomplish this way of silencing God's word. But the third captain in our passage is totally different. Totally different. Look with me at verse 13. It says, This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. And Elijah hears that from the captain. He receives a word from an angel of the Lord and Elijah goes down the hill. Do you know the point of this section is is profoundly clear. God's word cannot be silenced. And it is a hazardous thing to do so. 
as these soldiers found out. Judgment came on those who tried. But there's a twist in this section. Because having shown us that God's word cannot be cancelled, it also shows us what our attitude to God's word should be. You see, this is the really interesting thing. You see, people, when they came before God's word wanting to silence it, fire came down. When people came before God's words, arrogantly and proudly, what happened? Fire came down. But the minute that someone came humbly before the word, Elijah comes down. Fire comes down. Fire comes down. Someone's humble. Elijah comes down. And they're saved. You see, this morning, knowing that we cannot cancel God's words is really a call for us to humble ourselves under it. The third captain, he knows what the fire points towards. He knows what it points towards. And he knows that he can't win this fight, and so he humbles himself under it. And doesn't that remind you this morning of a parable that Jesus teaches of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I think that this being humble under the word gets to the key of what the Bible says our attitude to be should be to God's word. And Jesus tells a parable, doesn't he, about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee comes into the temple and he's all high and mighty. And he walks in and he, and he lifts his arms to heaven and he thanks God that he's not like that tax collector that he sees over in the corner. He was so proud of who he was. You could say that he worshipped himself because of how good he was. But then Jesus tells the story of the tax collector, a traitor back then, someone who exploited the poor. And this tax collector walks into the temple, doesn't even look up to heaven, and he beats his breast and he cries out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says at the end of that parable, out of the two of them, the tax collector is made right before God. In fact, Jesus ends that teaching by saying that all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. A humble response, as we've seen in two kings, is the only safe response to God's word. In God's words, you and I come up against a battle that we just can't win. And it raises us the response of, will we this morning, like the third captain, recognize that we can't win? We cannot cancel God's word. We cannot silence God's word. But to recognize that the only safe response is to humble ourselves under it. And on the mercy and the love of God. And that brings us to the third and final point this morning, which is humbled by the word, verses 16 to 17. You see, our, our passage ends in 2 Kings chapter 1 with Elijah and Ahaziah finally getting to see each other face to face. This is the, the moment we've been waiting for. And the word of the Lord is now repeated for the third and final time in verse 16. And after that is spoken to Ahaziah's face, he dies. And verse 17, we're left with a very sobering verse that concludes our passage. Verse 17, look with me, says, So he died according to the words of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Ahaziah, he had spent all of his days trying to silence God's word. 
And yet it was God's word that silenced him. And it shows us unequivocally this morning that what God says, God will do. And that both presents us this morning with a huge challenge and also a huge encouragement. A challenge because God doesn't joke around when it comes to his word. You know, part of the reason why I know I can be so hesitant to trust God's word is because sometimes I just think God's bluffing. I just think that what God has said in his word, he actually won't do. And we live in a culture, don't we, where so often words are cheap, where promises are broken left, right and centre, where challenges are not followed through. And so we think and we apply that same mindset to God's word. But God's word challenges us this morning in making the mistake of misjudging the certainty of God's word. You know, there was a a transcript that recently appeared uh, that recorded a conversation, a radio conversation between a, via a US Navy warship. And it went like this, the the warship then called out over the radio and they said, please divert your course 0.5 degrees to the south to avoid collision. The reply came back, we recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. The U.S. warship replied, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The reply came back again, no. I say again, you divert your course. The warship then went back even harder, saying this is the aircraft carrier USS Coral Sea. We are a large warship of the US Navy. Divert your course now. The call came back. This is a lighthouse. Your call. Do you know, Ahaziah thought he could silence God's word. He thought he was bigger than God's word. He thought he could cancel God's word, and yet he totally misjudged the word of God. The word of God humbled him as a result. And I want to say this morning that this is also a huge encouragement as well as a huge challenge, because if God's word is this short, If it is this sure this morning that we can be 100% confident that what God says God will do, then that makes this the most unshakable foundation that we could ever build our lives on this morning. You know, I am 100% sure that as I look out, and I'm sure I'm speaking to people on the live stream, that all of us, in varying degrees, go through extreme hardships. And I'm sure at the moment there are those of us here that are going through incredibly hard times where it feels like the foundation that we are walking on is crumbling all around us. We don't know where to look. And the things that we put our confidence in are crumbling all around us. And actually this was what makes God's word and the certainty of it that it cannot be silenced, it cannot be cancelled, and that every promise God makes he will do such incredible good news. Because this makes this the best foundation you could ever build your life on. Every promise God makes to you in this world he will do. What a foundation we have to build our lives on this morning. And so where does that leave us? 
Well, in one sense, I want to say this morning, it leaves us all being confronted by God's word this morning. Because we are all confronted by God's word to us this morning in the person of Jesus. John, the gospel writer, he calls Jesus the word, doesn't he? John says the word became flesh. And in Jesus, we see a word that challenges our spiritual pride, a word that challenges our self-sufficiency, a word that challenges our own goodness and how good we really think we are, a word that challenges our quest for independence, a word that challenges our idols and what we choose to worship, a word that says without hesitancy that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. In Jesus, we're confronted with a challenging word. And Jesus is a word that is frequently rejected, and constantly many want to silence. And you know, in fact, we get a bit of an account, and I want to end with this this morning. We get an account of that rejection of Jesus the word in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 59 and it records for us where it says at the time as the time approached for him Jesus to be taken back up to heaven Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him but the people there did not welcome him they rejected the word and this morning do you know it might be that we recognize that more than anything this morning We recognize that our natural inclination of our hearts is to reject God's word to us in Christ. We see Jesus and we want to silence him, quite frankly. We refuse to welcome Jesus. We refuse to listen to Jesus. And you know, in that account that's recorded in Luke chapter 9, it goes on to say, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, the rejection of Jesus, they said, Lord, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? See, James and John knew exactly what the rejection of God's word meant. They knew this story that we've been looking at this morning. What happens when people reject God's word? And yet Jesus responds. And he turns around and he rebukes his disciples. He doesn't rebuke the Samaritans, the people that rejected him. He rebukes his disciples. Jesus knows those people have rejected him, and yet he doesn't follow through on their request for judgment. Why? Is it because Jesus doesn't care what people make about him? No. Jesus does care what people think about him. No, but in that encounter, you might have heard it started off by saying that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Because here's the incredible good news that I want us to leave with this morning. Judgment didn't fall on those who rejected God's word, Jesus. Because judgment in only a matter of days was going to fall on Jesus himself. Jesus, the word of God, was going to be crucified, taking the punishment for all of our rejection, all of our sin on that cross in the place of those who rejected God's word in the first place and wanted to silence it. Jesus is the one this morning that we are meant to look to. And he's not a powerless saviour like Baalzebub. 
He's not hopeless. He is able to save and he stands ready to welcome us and to accept our turning to him. He is the only one who can provide the rescue that we need. And to silence him this morning, to walk away from him, is surely the worst thing that we can do. Because God's word is equally clear. That when Jesus came, he came to bring a rescue. He came to take that judgment the first time on our behalf. But God's word is clear that if we reject him, if we reject this good news, then we will be left to face judgment on our own with no savior. And so let us look to Jesus this morning. Let us look at him, our word. Let us lean on him, trust him, and worship him. And let our words come from him. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we pray that we would not, as we can so often be tempted to do, Lord, we don't want to reject it. We don't want to silence it. We want to listen to it. We want to humble ourselves under it. And we want to recognize this morning that there is no greater power than your word. And that what you say, Lord Jesus, you will do. And we pray that each of us this morning would look to you for that rescue, that love that you have provided for us. May we not reject it, but may we accept it with all of our hearts. We pray this all in your name. Amen.